Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'm people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just entertainment, educate, and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Today's move was all about Lyft. With the Dow gaining 211 points, S&P advancing 0.67%. Hey, market's best quarterly start to the year since 1998. And the Nasdaq rising 0.78%. As the red-hot ride-sharing IPO lifted the animal spirits and raised everything. I cannot stress this enough. We're at the start of an IPO season that looks on track to bring a trillion dollars worth of companies public. These deals will be the big story going forward. So what happened today? When Lyft opened at $87, that was up 15 from the IPO price, a lot of people cynically assumed that the whole process was corrupt. The stock was ridiculously overvalued. The brokers obviously ripped off their customers. That's just not true. I think the brokers would have preferred for Lyft to open at a lower level. But market orders from buyers with no discipline, what did I tell you never to do that, ended up stretching the valuation at the open, even as the stock only drifted lower, closing at $78. Here's the thing. That spike right out of the gate could have been far worse. Given the wave of orders, Lyft might have surged as high as $100 at the open. But the syndicate test released some of the buyers who had pledged to hold on to the stock to actually try to keep the stock down so they could limit the losses for people who bought at an opening that was just unsustainable. You've got to understand, when people are really excited about an IPO, it's very difficult for them to rein in their, their emotions, to keep themselves under control. Look, I know this from experience because when the street.com came public 20 years ago, I saw the syndicate desk at Goldman Sachs lose control of the offering with an unruly mob of buyers using market orders who drove the stock from 20 bucks where it was priced to 63 where it opened. And then it crept up a few more dollars before spending the rest of the year going down. It never saw those levels again. I was destroyed. I begged the syndicate desk to release some of these buyers. I told them to find sellers but they couldn't find enough to meet the insane demand. It wasn't their fault. But we didn't have that today, though, which is why I regard Lyft's $87 opening as kind of a win for the system, uh, even as it was a loss for anyone who was too eager and bought the stock up there. So what do you do now if you own Lyft? You know what? I'm going to make a case for owning it here at 78. Depending on the estimates you use, Lyft's currently selling for somewhere between 4.6 to 6.9 times next year's sales. Let's use the conservative numbers and assume Lyft's revenues growth slows from 103%, which was stellar last year. Let's say it cut in half, 50% this year, 25% next year, giving you the 6.9 times uh, this year's sales number. That's a total bargain. Yes, compared to other high flyers. For example, two that I really like, Shopify and Twilio, they both trade at roughly 11 times next year's estimates. That's right, next year's sales estimates. Yet Lyft has a faster growth rate than both of them. And again, I like Twilio and I like Shopify, and I think they should be bought. Now, look, I would obviously like Lyft down $5 from here, but don't let the valuation scare you is what I'm saying. What matters is that Lyft and Uber have carved this industry up between them with a 60-40% split. It's hard to imagine a duopoly producing a savage price war, isn't it? 
If anything, I can see them raising prices once they're entrenched, which is why I like Lyft as an investment. Sure, we'll have to grow into that $26 billion market cap. Yes, it's losing a lot of money, but I think ultimately it can deliver. With the IPO stuff out of the way, how about the game plan for next week? Okay, every Monday when we come to work, we play the same game. Will there be a trade deal or won't they? How'd they do over the weekend? If we make a deal with China, of course, the stock market will soar. If not... Given that today's rally is partially fueled by positive chatter from our negotiators, I think we'll go right back down without some sign of break, uh, progress or some breakout in the China front. But here's the issue. I'm convinced that President Trump runs the White House a bit like he ran The Apprentice, which means you always got another team. Today we heard from the pro-trade team. They think the tariffs are hurting the economy, so they want to make a deal, right? Hurting the world's economy, I should say. But there's another team, the hardliners, who don't particularly care about making a deal unless it is advantageous to the United States of America and can be verified. And they really don't want to lift the tariffs because even if we reach an agreement, well, that's the only way to make sure China abides by the terms of the deal. Of course, that's not exactly palatable to the Chinese government. So it ends up to being a very sticky situation. Long story short, even with the encouraging leaks coming from both sides today, it's by no means a done deal. Think about longer period of time. When I saw my friend Larry Cudlow today. He emphasized longer period of time. He's the National Economic Advisor, but was my former partner in Cudlow and Kramer. What else? We get retail sales on Monday, and if we get strong numbers, I think it's actually going to come as a positive shock, as positive as the previous series of, of negative numbers were in terms of making it so that interest rates went down. We need to get out of this inverted yield curve purgatory somehow, where some short-term interest rates are higher than some long-term rates, uh, and good retail sales, I think, could help us return to normalcy. Get this, Tuesday we got some real wild ones, all right? Well, first, Walgreens reports that I keep hearing chatter that it's going to miss its numbers and lower its forecast like its competitor CVS had to. Drug stores can't seem to compete against Amazon as well as other retailers. Although Larry Merlot, the CEO of CVS, would probably say otherwise. It's certainly the perception. Now, I think uh, CVS Health is actually the better buy here because of its Aetna merger, a little more diversified away from drug stores. But it's a reset year for them and don't expect anything special. I've been very partial all my career to Dave & Buster's, including when it was was private, and it comes after the close. It's a fun, it's a fun chain. Uh, it's expanding across the country. It's getting a break on real estate from all the malls with empty spaces. But I am concerned that the stock order reflects much of the strength I am afraid of a miss. I'm certainly not keen on GameStop, which is withering away as it no longer has a reason for being, despite various hedge funds trying to get something going, proxy, whatever. Wednesday, we hear from another one that is bedraggled. It's called Signatures. This stock has been a one-way ticket to the house of pain after that last quarter. CEO Virginia Trosos has lowered the boom on her own stock. In January, she said some terrible things about Christmas. Yeah, the numbers were awful, uh, which convinced many sellers that the old business model, which is when they were making money on credit, not jewelry, well, maybe that was keeping them percolating. Now, don't expect that old model to return anytime soon. Signet's still in the penalty box. Don't touch it. Thursday, we find out if beer is flat. I'm talking about Modelo, Corona, Victoria, Pacifico, all of which belong to a constellation brands, STZ, at least in the U.S. For the longest time, this company put up fantastic numbers, but the last couple of quarters weren't really quite up to snuff. Stock got clobbered. I think Constellation is preparing itself for cannabis. That's right, cannabis competition. That's why it sunk $4 billion into canopy growth. That's the top dog in the Canadian cannabis space. Canopy's war chest from this deal is why I think it's the best one to own. More important, we'll be listening closely to what Constellation has to say about its core business. Finally, on Friday, we get the Labor Department's ridiculously important non-farm payroll report. I say ridiculously important because so many people are on this recession watch here. I think that's nuts. As I see it, the consumer's bouncing back. Better weather with lower mortgage rates. Unemployment remains incredibly low. Jobs are easier to come by. But because our interest rates have come down so much, people assume we're headed into a serious slowdown. I think it's what I call a false tell. 
Bottom line, beware of misleading trade talk people. Get ready for more deals like Lyft. And remember, this first quarter has left people a lot more flush than they were just three months ago. Tom in Pennsylvania. Tom. Hey, Jim, I want to send out a big booyah from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, PA to you. Liking that. How's it going? I've done good. I've done well with your advice over the years, Jim. Oh, thank you. And would like you to comment on the following. United Healthcare, UNH. I own a lot of shares. And recently, except for the day, the stock's been losing value. The metrics, you know, for the company are very good. But with all the confusion over the single payer and the president wanting to eliminate the Affordable Care Act, should I hold or sell this? You've got to hold and maybe even buy. For my Chapel Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionLearnsPlus.com club, we've been telling people to buy. Why? Because we think the confusion actually plays into UNH's hands, and therefore you're getting a bargain price. I think the stock is terrific. I want to go to Trudy in Oregon. Trudy. Hi, Jim. Hey, did you know that you have a fan club in Sisters, Oregon? I did not know that, but it makes yeah. me happy. What's going on there? fabulous women. Okay, I need your help with um, AeroVironment, AVAV. All right, this is very controversial. See, they did, first of all, thank you for those kind kudos, kudos, Trudy. This company delivered a good quarter, but there are people who hate the stock so much that there's endless rumors about them not doing well. So it's a battleground stock, even though I think it shouldn't be. And that's why, Trudy, I don't want you to go there. I think there's too much risk. Can I go to Jim in New York? Jim. Hi, Jim. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Jim. How about you? Good, thanks. I just had a question about uh, Trade Desk, TTD. Yeah. Um, I know they just launched uh, programmatic ad buying in China and how they had a great fourth quarter earnings. They sure did. Uh, I was just, oh, yeah, yeah. I was just wondering uh, what you thought about buying the stock now, or should I wait a little bit? I want to wait a little bit to see people tra- uh, get worried about Google. You know, periodically when Google changes things around, everybody freaks out. Remember when they did it with Yelp? I just feel like they're probably, I think it's a great company. I'm going to have one because they are so sensational. But I think that right now there's a lot of, uh, let's just say, worry, even when there shouldn't be worry. Fair enough. All right, today was all about Lyft. And I think the IPO was a win. I thought the street handled it well. Next week, there'll be another round of trade deal roulette. Will we reach a deal or won't we? It's certainly a tricky situation, so to say the least. I want to beware of false trade hope. On Man Money tonight, leaving Wells Fargo was Tim Sloan's best move. But was it the fairest? Let me give you my take. It's a little controversial. Then, thirsty for gains? Monster beverage has been an absolute gusher. But the bulls and bears are in a fierce battle over whether the thing can keep blowing the lid off. I'm going to take that personally, and I'm taking it aside. And personal assistants aren't just for the wealthy anymore. I'm eyeing one company that's bringing hotel-style concierge service to your home. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all, every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. 
or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. What can I say about Tim Sloan, the CEO of Wells Fargo, who announced his resignation yesterday of being hounded by Congress for years? In the end, I think Tim didn't want Wells Fargo to go through what he was going through. And the only way to separate himself from the bank was by stepping down. Yet, at a time when bankers are once again being roasted in Washington, Tim needed to fall on his sword or else Wells Fargo would never be able to put the reputational risk from the cross-selling scandal behind it, even if he had nothing to do with it. Listen to what Tim Sloat had to say. This was my decision based upon what I thought and believe is the best for Wells Fargo because there's just been too much focus on me and it's impacting our ability to move forward. He goes on to say, I just care so much about this company and so much about our team that I could not keep myself in a position where I was becoming a distraction. These words ring true to me. Earlier this year, I asked him if he felt that the baggage of being an insider was hurting the bank's turnaround. He said no, but then he added that if it became a problem, he would resign. And that's exactly how things played out. So what really happened here? If you're feeling cynical, you might say that the board simply couldn't take a distracted CEO anymore, so Tim had to leave. But if that's the case, they sure had an odd way of showing him the door, given that the board just handed him a 5% pay raise, including a $2 million performance bonus, bringing his total compensation to $18.4 million. Why not? Wells Fargo delivered a very strong quarter and a very good year, much better than any reasonable person would have expected a year ago at this time. Now, to me, Tim's reasoning sounds honest because of what's about to happen on April 10th in Washington. That's when Congresswoman Maxine Waters convenes the House Financial Service Committee hearings on banking. All the big bank CEOs will be hauled down front of the uh, committee, including Tim. And he knew he was going to be the focal point no matter what he said or did. The fact that he served as an executive at Wells Fargo under John Stump, now disgraced, meant that as far as Congress is concerned, he's guilty till proven guilty. Look, I'm not saying we should feel bad for the guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure most of you are saying, come on, the guy just made $18 million for him. sake. He'll be fine. But I will say that Sloan was asked to clean up the Aegean stables, and from what I can tell, he's done a good job at that Herculean task without derailing the earnings. One look at the makeup of that committee made it obvious that Sloan was going to be a punchy guy. Politically, it's just a, such a slam dunk. Uh, bankers aren't popular to begin with, and Sloan also had to live with the sins of his predecessor. Plus, when you have a very smart presidential candidate, Senator Elizabeth Warren, arguing on the stump vociferously that the Justice Department should put Sloan in jail, it's hard for the bank not to be brought down with him. Say what you want about Senator Warren. She knows how to get results. They may not be the results that you want, especially if you own any bank stocks, but they're results nonetheless. In the end, it's America in 2019. This is what happens. Sloan read the tea leaves correctly. If you wanted to avoid making these hearings about how outrageous it is that someone from the Stumpf era is still in charge at Wells Fargo, he had to announce his resignation beforehand. The smartest move this man could make was to quit, both for him and for his shareholders. So Tim Sloan did the right thing and took one for the team, which I think is actually something worth celebrating. Let's go to Mark in New York. Mark. Yeah, hi. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, I am a member of your Action Alerts Club, and Thank I watch you. your Mad Money show every single night. Thank you for um, all that you do to advise us. Oh, that's terrific. Thank so, you for that. Thank you for being a member of the club. Absolutely. So here's my question. Um, it's regarding Bank of America, BSC, I purchased some BAC roughly last July, and I've been pretty disappointed in the stock's performance. 
So my question, would you recommend that I sell it and put the money into a different banking stock or maybe buying more shares of a non-banking stock that I already own? Well, you know, because you're a member of the Axelors Plus dot com club that we're not fans of banks here. We're stuck in some banks. I talked the other day about City. I think Bank of America is fine. It sells at nine times earnings. Things never really go bad at nine times earnings. But I got to tell you, the opportunity cost of missing out on a healthcare stock here that's better or a technology stock would tell me to trim some of that position. I need to go to Ned in North Carolina. Ned. First time caller, long time listener. Perfect. The second question is New York Bank. NYCB. The only reason I would own that, it does have a 5.8% yield, and it is an okay bank. But you know what? I never reach for yield. If I want yield, I'll go by Ventos. I feel better about it. The banks just are not going to give you the upside as long as the yield curve is the way it is right now, where the top end, the short end is a little too high versus the 10-year. Okay. Sloan from Wells had no other choice but to move on after 31 years. Now, it may not have been the fairest choice, but it was this morning's. Much more mad money ahead. Should you be cracking open a can of Monster Energy? Which is leave it on the shelf. I'm comparing the bull and the bear case and making a call. Then, imagine a world where the average middle-class family had access to a butler. I'm eyeing one tech company that's making it possible. And from printers to paper clips, Office Depot has you covered. But would it be worth adding to your portfolio? One little dollar stock? I'll let you know when we return. And I do the homework. Stay with Kramer. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. People love controversy. It's very entertaining. But if you're managing money, the last thing you want is to find yourself mired in a battleground stock. What makes for a battleground in this business? I'm talking about polarizing situations where you've got some very passionate bears locked in a claymation death match with equally passionate bulls, and you don't have any idea which side will turn out to be right. Sometimes if you don't have an edge, it's better just to sit these fights out rather than risk getting caught in some sort of crossfire. Just look at Monster Beverage. The energy drink kingpin with a stock that's been eviscerated, even though it reported a very strong quarter roughly a month ago. Monster's become a textbook example of a battleground stock. People, after putting a series of inconsistent quarters last year, the company finally managed to deliver some excellent results a month ago. The stock surged on the news, jumping from 58 to 63 in a single day. But within a week, Monster started coming right back down. Then it became a real dog, falling to $54 as of today. What happened? All right, shortly after the quarter, the long knives came out, and the analyst community turned on Monster. It was incredible. You wouldn't believe how fast they went against this company. They downgraded the stock. They cut the price targets for various reasons. More on that in a minute. However, the long knives couldn't do everything. You see, there are still some true believers who are willing to take. Oh, my God. Didn't count on that, frankly. 
the other side of the trade. Yesterday, Credit Suisse bucked the trend, naming Monster their top pick in the soft drink space on the very same day that yet another firm, Morgan Stanley, lowered their earnings estimates. Now, I love it when this happens because we, it means we have to pit these two analysts against each other to see who has the better thesis. But not every analyst duel has an obvious winner, although I'm clearly the loser in this. Sometimes you just need to keep your head down, yeah, like now, and let the smoke and monster clear. I think that's the way to go with monster, and I'll tell you why. Just a second. Just a little. You know, it's not what I was hoping for, but that's all right. Suboptimal. First, you got to understand that Monster used to be one of the great growth stories of our era. If you bought it a decade ago, you have a more than 80, 800% gain. 800, thanks to the explosive, no kidding, growth of the energy drink category, where they're the number two player behind Red Bull. However, in recent years, the stock has struggled to gain traction as investors worry that the domestic energy drink market has become saturated. And, of course, there are also some health care issues here. It's sometimes not, you know, I wouldn't drink it. Monsters expanding overseas, and in 2015, they partnered up with Coca-Cola. Okay, 2015, Coca-Cola. Get that? This is important to the story. Selling them 16.7% of the company in exchange for access to Coca-Cola's phenomenal worldwide distribution infrastructure. By 2017, it looked like those moves were paying off. Stock moved steadily higher. Then Monster peaked at 70 in January of last year, and the stock's been bouncing between the high 40s and the high 60s ever since. Why? Over the course of 2018, the company reported a series of what I can only call mixed quarters. By the time the big fourth quarter bear market, you know, the J-PAL bear market rolled out, this thing just got slammed. In mid-October, the analysts at ISI Evercore downgraded Monster from outperform to inline in what proved to be a prescient research report. Their thesis? New players have started taking share in the energy drink market, especially fitness-oriented energy drinks like Meanwhile, Monster's talking about releasing new products that don't carry their own trademark, which suggests to me that their brand might not be as powerful as we'd like. And that's when we started seeing the new pattern. On November 7th, Monster reported an excellent quarter, but nobody cared because we got some very disturbing news about the company's partnership with Coca-Cola. As part of their distribution deal, Coca-Cola wasn't supposed to get involved in the energy drink business, okay? Keep that in mind. But apparently there were some loopholes in the agreement, and now Coca-Cola is planning to launch their own energy drink against the Monster. Okay, Monster's taking the arbitration, but Coke's energy drink is still slated to come out next month. And i got to tell you, if you're running a business, competition is most frightening word in the English language, especially against a giant like Coca-Cola. Even if Monster can beat its newfound competitors like, bang! And Coca-Cola, the entry of new players has a tendency to push down pricing across the board. Yeah. Imagine a price war with this stuff. Now, eventually, the stock market bottomed in late December, and Monster was able to rally along with everything else. But when the company reported again at the end of February, uh, we got another bizarre situation. Monster reported another top and bottom line beat, announced a $500 million buyback program on top of the billion dollars worth of buybacks they went through last year. Stock jumped nearly 9% on that news. Yet a few days later, Monster lost its mojo. This was a $64 stock at the beginning of the month. It's now a $54 stock. Why? Because it's a battleground. For the past month, analyst after analyst has come out and downgraded the stock. Even former fans like Golden Sachs. That's right. There have been a few notable bulls, too, but they're massively outnumbered. This culminated in yesterday's dueling research reports with Credit Suisse sticking its neck out to upgrade the monster. Morgan Stanley cutting numbers. What's the bear thesis here? Okay, for starters, this new player, bang, 
has taken share in the energy drink market. They're now capturing 40% of the growth. Okay, that doesn't mean the market, but the growth in the whole category. That's not good. Meanwhile, Monster has put through a 4% price increase, but Red Bull didn't follow suit, giving those guys a leg up versus the Monster. Plus, Coca-Cola Energy is about to, about to come up with that. I mean, really, another serious negative that drink, especially if they put some real marketing muscle behind it. You know, Coca-Cola's got, it's got unlimited firepower. So you can understand why so many investors keep selling monster stock, even as the company reports good numbers. They think it's in a precarious position. Those are the last of the good numbers. Plus, for years, people speculate that Coca-Cola might potentially acquire monster. Given, as I mentioned, they already own a chunk of the business. But if Coke is rolling out their own energy drink and their relationship with monster has turned acrimonious, well, that makes the deal pretty unlikely, doesn't it? What about the bulk things? Okay, again, there aren't many of them. March 4th, RBC Capital published a piece arguing that Monster had 20% upside. They claimed that the competition from, yes, bang, is mostly taking share from smaller energy drink brands like Rockstar. They also like that Monster is about to launch a new product for fitness, fitness groups. Imagine this is really fit for you, right? Designed to go after the category where, bang, had so much success. But the biggest bull here, Credit Suisse, which initiated coverage on Monster with an outperform rating to be of the month, then if the stock got been clobbered, they added to the conviction buy list? What's their argument? Credit Suisse makes the case that Monster still has an enormous growth opportunity overseas. This is a $35 billion market that's growing at a 7% clip. Credit Suisse believes the company will be able to take share because they're starting at a low base, just 11% right now. Plus, they point out that Monster's got a pristine balance sheet, too, generates massive amounts of cash. Yes, and has a history of opportunistically buying back its own stock like we've seen in recent months. Top of that, Credit Suisse believes this new hot competitor, have to, bang, may turn out to be a fad, similar to past energy drinks that exploded, <laughs> yeah, exploded in popularity and also over my face, and then vanished. That's one reason they slapped the $75 price target on Monster, up 21 bucks from where the stock's currently trading. So he's right. Honestly, you know what? I don't have any idea. If the bulls of Credit Suisse turn out to be correct, well, they'll look like geniuses. But there are very real worries here, which is why I am hesitant to stick my neck out on this one, especially with Monster selling at 23 times next year's earnings estimates, much higher than the average stock. Not exactly a value play, although going up against Coca-Cola, <laughs> that might turn it into one. Bottom line, stay away from battlegrounds. When you get a situation like Monster where a stock keeps getting mauled by the bears, but a couple of heroic analysts remain bullish, that's not a fight you want to be involved in. Believe me, there are lots of easier ways to make money. I need to go to Tom in Massachusetts. Tom. Hi, Jim. Big Booyah from Boston and Patriot Nation. Yeah, man. What's going on? Hey, my question is about NBEV, New Age Beverages. Given the hype around cannabis stocks and more states legalizing it, do you see NBEV as a likely investment for a company like Coca-Cola or Anheuser-Busch? I think that the they're world reluctant world. to do that. I, I want you to, you know, this is a totally speculative play. I understand you can lose everything on this. It's not where I want you to be. I prefer you to be in much more conservative stocks like Canopy Growth, which is owned, well, majority stake owned by Constellation, which does report this week, where we find out much more about the situation. Okay. Can we go to the videotape for a replay here? Monster is a, oh, man. Can we go to another videotape of that? <laughs> Monster's a battleground stock. And I just don't have the energy to get involved in it right now. 
much more man money ahead. It's a company that could help restock your fridge, water your plants, and even buy birthday presents. Intrigued? Don't make a move. I'll reveal the private flavor just ahead. Then, good news if the dog ate your homework. I did it for you. And it could help make you some money. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. Stay with Craig. glimpse into the future of e-commerce, you need to catch up with the privately held companies that are coming up with revolutionary new services. Companies like Hello Alfred, which describes itself as a home management system. Basically, if you live in an apartment building where Hello Alfred operates, more on that in a second, it serves as an on-demand concierge service that can take care of all your chores, delivering groceries, picking up packages, dry cleaning, going to the pharmacy, doing laundry, you name it. This is all the stuff you could do yourself. But the idea is that you're saving the most precious thing you've got, the commodity of time if you use Hello Alfred. And this is just the beginning. Hello Alfred has a vision in home commerce. Instead of shopping online, their customers will have the store come to you so they can sample all kinds of merchandise from the comfort of home. I think it's an intriguing vision. So let's take a closer look with Marcella Sapone. She is the co-founder and CEO of Hello Alfred and Jessica Beck, who's the co-founder and CEO of the company, to learn more about Hello Alfred and their vision for the future. Ms. Sapone and Ms. Beck, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you for having us. Okay, I'm going to start for a second with Jessica because I met Jessica at a subscription <laughs> conference of all places. We were talking about the subscription economy, and I immediately fell in love with the idea, told my wife about it, and she said, how do we get in one of those apartment buildings because we're doing it all ourselves? So this is a treasure for those who are in apartment buildings. Absolutely. And when we started the company, our real goal was to say, how do we give people back time? And if we can redefine how you live in an apartment, how you live in a city, we can probably give you back time. And we'll do that through a combination of technology. So we have a mobile app and human help. Uh, so we have Alfred, home managers, who are W-2 employees of ours that actually come and help you with all of those things that you don't want to do every single week. Okay, so Marcella, the first thing that I thought of is, is that there must be some sort of generational thing. I've got something which says I don't want anyone in my place. <laughs> it looks like that other people, if you vet the people, are more willing to have someone go in their own refrigerator in their closet. Has something changed from my generation? Well, I would say that one thing that has changed is our comfort in asking for help and starting to access things instead of buy them. So Airbnb, Uber, and Lyft all started a different type of economy where you can get access to luxury goods. What I would say, though, is earning the trust of the consumer to get past the front door is not a trivial thing. This is not something you're going to see a lock company do or someone like an Amazon or a Walmart do very easily. What we're doing is forming a relationship with the consumer and our company, and we get to know you week after week. It's not about delivery. It's about anticipation and really personalizing service to you. All right. How much is missionary work and that you have to explain to whoever's operating the building that this is something that actually raises the yeah. value of the building? Well, the modern consumer is an urban consumer. Eighty percent of Americans are going to live in cities, first and second tier cities, um, by 2050. And developers know that people are trading space for time. They want to have amenities. They want to have services. They want to have the conveniences built into the places they live. And we are that one-stop shop. We are the one resident app that really delivers a different level of service. It's like having a sidekick built into your home. Now, uh, Jessica, when I uh, think about this, I say to myself, 
all right, uh, you've got these team-ups with different companies. Is that another way? I mean, you've got – what are the sources of income here for you guys, for Hello Alfred? For those who are watching and say, look, one day maybe I can get a piece of Hello Alfred. Because it's not just the, the straight-out fee, right? Yeah, so we think about this as a comprehensive solution. We work with the top real estate developers in the country and the globe even um, who provide this to their residents. We also focus on the types of services that add the most value to you as the resident. So we'll start with the basics, whether it's groceries or home cleaning or clothing, but then we'll actually build a product for you based on what you need. 70% of our partners are local businesses, so we work with them. And then there's a whole host of other fun stuff that we get to do, to do when we get to know you a little bit better. Well, I, I mean, I, I like that, but one of the things that I know, and you guys know I, I own a restaurant, it is so hard to find anyone who's willing to work at the restaurant. I mean, honestly, Marcel, how can you get people in this hot economy yeah. to want to do what you're describing? It's a great question. And here's the secret. All successful people have help and women have a second shift. So this really started because Jess second a second shift, shift at home, right. 30 or 40 hours a week that go into basically having a house and making it a place you want to come to. And so what we do is we look for moms. We look at stay-at-home moms who want to come back into the workforce and take care of their neighborhood. And that is a supply pool that is totally untapped. But where do you find these people? I mean, what do you advertise? I mean, honestly. So do you remember the Avon lady? Yeah. Or Tupperware parties? Sure. You find one great person, and they bring other people with them. And uh, is, how, I, is it working in all cities so far that you've tried? We're in 15 markets, just opened our 16th. Congratulations. So is, yeah, what was really the 16th? Well. We just opened Miami uh, really? last week, and Houston's coming next. Well, I've got to tell you, I mean, I just think this is a service that if I were uh, building an apartment building, I would contact you and say, could you, you, could you do my building? Has that happened yet? You'd be crazy not to. I mean, we are going to make sure that your building leases up faster, that your residents are going to be happier, and that we have proven, we have data showing over two years, our, if you're an Alfred user, you're going to stay in that building. So buildings well, are definitely coming to us, and we have a wait list. But for us, getting into buildings so it's free for residents to use is a really big deal. So if you live in an Alfred building, this is a free service for you to use. Well, that is terrific. I'm so glad I bumped into you at the Subscription Economy Dinner. And it sounds like you guys are doing terrifically. I want to thank Marcella Sapone. She's the co-founder and CEO of Hello Alfred. And Jessica Beck, who's the co-founder and COO of Hello Alfred. Man, buddy's back in It is time to the And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate. Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Bob in Florida. Bob. Hey, Professor. How are you tonight? I am doing well. Thank you for giving me tenure. How can I help? Happy Friday. Listen, I invested, took a position, a small position in three of your stocks over the past two or three weeks. I'm just wondering if I should uh, add to Dell. Oh, I think so. I thought Michael told a good tale. I put that in the bullpen for the club. I think that that is one terrific stock. And if it goes down on any of these people raising money for these IPOs, well, you know what? I'm going to give it a double buy. Sammy in Louisiana. Sammy. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Jim, you're always going to be the greatest. And I'm telling you Ah, today, because I think you already know that, but I want you to know. Thank you. Okay, and Jim, if you write another book, I'm going to buy it right away. I I know, I know. My wife says, Jim, it takes too much time. Let me see what I can do. What's going on? 
Okay, well, you're, you're just fantastic. Thank anyway, you. what are your thoughts on AT&T? I think AT&T is fine. I like a 6.5% yield. I think it can go up over time, but it's no Verizon. Verizon's a better-run company. Let's go to Charles in Nevada. Charles! Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. The show. Thank you. Hey, buddy. Um, uh, question on HQY, health equity. What's your opinion on that? Healthcare saving? I don't know. I'm not there. I'd rather see you in paychecks. I think Paychex does a great job. Why don't we go to Daniel in California? Daniel. Yeah, Jim, good afternoon. Um, thanks to you and your staff for all you do for us. Listen, I wanted to get your um, take on how safe or dangerous you think this insanely high 14% dividend is on new media investment group. I think it's NBC insanely w- high 14% dividend. I would not touch it. We've seen lately some uh, high-yielding stocks that just blow up. And I just think that that is a red flag. I do not trust any sort of yield like that. Let's go to AJ in Massachusetts. AJ. Hey, Jim, how are you? Big fan of you and David Faber in the morning and Mad Money at night. Thank you very much. Hey, wonder what your opinion is on Marvell Technology. I think it's too cheap. I think it's a really good situation. I know they didn't have a perfect quarter, but you know what? I think it's a non-wayward semiconductor that should be bought. Let's go to Bo in South Carolina. Bo! Hey, Jim. It is awesome to talk to you again. Thank you so uh, much. You're quite welcome. Us, buddy. You are amazing. You're I want to put some uh, money to work in the gaming space, and I'm considering Penn International Gaming. been watching the Pinnacle acquisition and their stock buyback. I like that idea. I think that's a good idea. It's down a lot. You know, I, I also, by the way, just for the record, like Las Vegas Sands because I, it's got that 5% dividend that I think is very safe. But there's six or a half dozen pens. Kind of interesting situation. How about Clancy, Connecticut? Clancy. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I wish I had your incredible nonstop energy. Ah, thank, I've been following you. a medical device maker, uh, a biomed ticker, ABM. Oh, my. Is like that a good company? Oh, that is that and EW are two amazing companies. I know the stock has come down. I think that ABMD is a buy. How about we go to Troy in Florida? Troy. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Troy. Hey, I'm talking about staff ticker ZNGA. Zynga. Zynga. Too early. Still too early to buy Zynga. Too early. Let's go to Adam in Nevada. Adam. Hey, Jim. uh, uh, This is Adam in Reno here. How are you? Reno. Love. What's up? Uh, my stock is a uh, regional telecom that pays a nice dividend, uh, Consolidated Communications. No, we don't want what any of these think? regional telecoms to pay good dividends. They all tend to flop. We don't need that. That is a reach. We don't reach for you. We do not reach for you. How about we go to Phil in Virginia? Phil. The legend, Mr. Jim Kramer. Pleasure uh, speaking with you. Oh, good to speak to you. First, I got to say, go Hokies beat Duke. Yep. You know. And then I'd like to say... I'd like to say thank you very much for all your advice. You thank know, you, you really provide a good platform thank for everyone to get our Thank uh, you. Trying to started. educate, educate, educate. Yes, sir. Uh, I got a two-part question for you tonight, if you don't mind. Uh, okay. I started my, my portfolio. I, I got in with at 161, and it's currently trading at 195. I want to know if this is a good 5G play coupled with a semi like Skyworks or a Kramer fave filing. Uh, my... my stock is American Towers. Oh, I like American Towers. I've been behind it. Remember when they had that short rate of 50, short rate of 100? The whole time it's been good. You know, I would wait for a pullback to buy it now, but that's a good stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. 
And I have to tell you, Jim, you're my happy hour every weekday. As a sexy new, hold on, bust this, bust this. Look at all the chicken they put in the Alfredo. I mean, can you feel, can you feel how heavy this is? Probably not, right? But, and this is a big but, a Sir Mix-a-Lot but, so to speak. My buddy Justin, he thinks that just because he's in Mensa and he speaks French that his portfolio will do better than mine. Uh, he's also a Cowboys fan, so he can't be too bright. Charles Dickens, yes! He's not as good as Stephen King, first of all. Where's the big three-foot tower that I got when I was in Italy? Which is a rest stop, by the way, on the big road in Italy. What's a born-on date in this one? I mean, I think these last for like 10 minutes. They're so good. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Swag! I like to say, so there's a moment. Time for some spring cleaning. Every night I take your questions about an individual stock's occasion, I do get stumped. Whenever that happens, I want to tell you I'll do the homework, right, so I can come back to you with a more considered answer. But it's been an eventful six months, which is why we're very behind on our homework assignments, hence the need to do some housekeeping. Let's get to it. All the way back on November 26, four whole months ago, Paul in Texas asked me about Everbridge, EVBG. I confess this one just got away from me. I, look, it's run up 50% since then. I didn't do a good job here. It's on me. Paul in Texas clearly had a good idea. I waited too long to circle back on it. But what's powering this move? Everbridge is a cloud-based software company with a kind of a morbid business. Their software helps organizations respond to emergencies, which includes everything from atrocities like active shooter situations and terrorist attacks to severe weather conditions, cyber attacks, networking outages, product recalls, and supply chain interruptions. Basically, when something goes wrong, hardly wrong, Everbridge's platform helps businesses and governments assess the threat while identifying people at risk and sending responders to help them. They can also automate all sorts of predetermined emergency processes, mass notifications, incident management, community engagement, secure messaging. Pretty interesting company. It was founded in the wake of 9-11, and they're now the leading purveyor of software that helps businesses and governments handle emergencies. They serve nine of the 10 largest cities in the U.S., nine of the 10 largest investment banks, and the 25 busiest North American airports, among other customers. Now, when Paul asked me about Everbridge in November, the stock was pulling back as part of the broader market-wide sell-off. Remember that? Really crushed the cloud stocks, even when they were pretty good quarters. Everbridge delivered some excellent beat and raised numbers early in November, but it didn't seem to matter. I wish I had told Paul to buy it then and there, I, or, or gotten around to answering his question a few months ago. Uh, because after taking a look under the hood, well, Everbridge clearly has a lot going for it. The most recent quarter, get this, 43% revenue growth. That's an acceleration from a previous quarter, and it's a very bullish four-year forecast, uh, four forecast they gave for 2019. However, as much as I like the company here, even if it feels a little ghoulish and profitable off a tragedy, Everbridge, the stock, is another story. The darn thing has rallied like crazy, and I just can't get behind it at these levels because I hate the chase. Right now, Everbridge trades for 15 times, not earnings, but sales, which is insanely expensive. So what should you do? I say uh, you put Everbridge on your shopping list and then wait for the inevitable pullback. This is exactly the kind of fast-growing, high-flying cloud stock that I expect to start selling off as, as it gets more and more red-hot around here with the IPOs like Lyft. That's why you need to be patient if you ever want wait for Everbridge to come down. I think you can get a better entry point. And I've got to tell you, it will come down. And that's what happens to the high flyers. High flyers, don't be afraid. Next up, on November 28th, Phil in Oregon called about Office Depot, ODP. That's the big office supply chain with 1,400 locations. 
Right, it didn't really stump me, but I, I, had been, I hadn't been following the company, so I just felt I got to take a pass for that moment because I want to do some digging on my own, get an opinion on it. Now, look, I may act like Bozo the Clown, safer, uh, from time to time, but as rigorous, uh, well, I try to be as rigorous as possible. Now, obviously, it was trading at the time at $3.25 when Phil asked about it. Stock plummeted down to $2.08 as lows in the uh, Pal Bear market in December. And since then, it's come back. It's roaring back. $3.63 as of today. Yeah, this thing's up 40% for the well, year-to-date for the quarter. What's fueling this incredible run? You got to understand, Office Depot is an old-fashioned brick-and-mortar retailer that was written off and left for dead ages ago. You've heard this story before. In a world dominated by e-commerce, legacy players like Office Depot with huge real estate costs, well, you know what? They got to struggle to survive. So when the company delivered a better than fear quarter a month ago, it gave the stock a nice boost. Plus, like so many other names, this one never maybe should never have sold off so much during the fourth quarter. And honestly, after this move, I think you should on Office Depot. There's just no way I can justify owning this thing as an investment. Don't buy. Don't buy. Don't sure, buy. some people might be banking on a takeover, given that the company tried to sell itself to Staples a few years ago. But the regulators blocked that deal because of antitrust concerns. Retrospect, that seems pretty paltry, doesn't it? The only other potential catalyst here is that Office Depot's enterprise business, where they sell directly to other companies, can perform well enough to offset the weakness of the retail side of things. I don't know. Frankly, that's not a better one to make. When I look at Office Depot, I see a company that was great 20 years ago, but it failed to adapt and now seems lost. The most recent news yesterday that they're paying the Federal Trade Commission its $25 million fine to settle allegations that the company tricked consumers into buying expensive computer repair services. Well, that simply makes it even easier to say, forget about it. I think Office Depot is a value trap, and I want no Part of don't buy, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. Stick with Kramer. Okay, listen, cynics, the IPO process is very flawed. We don't know whether some people are going to come in late and start buying too high. We don't know whether there's real demand at certain levels. In general, I felt that Lyft was handled well. Now, would I like it to open at 72 and then go to 80 or 78? Of course. But this is not a perfect process. If you like Lyft, and I demonstrated how in the 70s you could actually justify it versus Twilio, which you know I like, and versus Shopify, then you can hold on to it. But if you don't want to play this game or if you think Warren Buffett's right, just sell it and don't play anymore. Like say, there's always bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I'll see you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.